Welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. My name is Simon Hodgkins. Absolutely delighted today to be joined by Martin Curley. Martin, you're very welcome to the podcast. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself to our worldwide audience. You're joining me here today, live from Barcelona. So it's great to catch up with you today. You're a professor of innovation at Maynooth University. You're a visiting professor at the University of Bath and you were the prior Director of Digital Transformation and Open Innovation at the HSC, which is the health service executive responsible for all healthcare and public services uh, in Ireland. So over to you. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey, Martin? Great. And Simon, thanks so much. Uh, Anne Hola from Barcelona. Uh, so it's a great honor to be with you today. Uh, so I'm an electronic engineer. I've spent about 30 years in the high-tech industry. I worked with Philips, GE, Intel, and MasterCard, I've written a number of books. And five years ago, I joined the health service executive as the CIO, and I had an idea about how we might transform um, healthcare in, in Ireland. I actually quickly realized that that wasn't gonna be possible through the IT organization. And um, I was able to, um, with John Connaughton, who was the then acting director of the HSE, we were able to create a new function, digital transformation, open innovation. And I've been deploying principles that were developed in the book that I wrote with Broer Salmon, Open Innovation 2.0, to try and architect and mastermind a transformation of the health service. We made remarkable progress. We worked with clinicians, we worked with patients, we worked with administrators. and. We had a network of living labs deployed across the country with some really phenomenal results like 10 time reductions in heart failure admissions, 10 time reductions in respiratory admissions. But ultimately, you know, I was involved in a culture war and, you know, Eric Topol, you know, the renowned cardiologist would say that medicine is probably the most resistant, you know, industry to change. And I, I, I certainly um found that so ultimately i decided to leave and actually there was a better path to healthcare transformation outside of the former former healthcare system and as a, as a citizen of the planet i'm actually committed to driving healthcare change through digital technology and i think i know how to achieve that and there are many others that think like me so i'm really on that uh, that journey so um, I'm, you know, delighted. I'm a professor of innovation at Maynooth University, and as you mentioned, recently taken a visiting role at at Bath. And the primary vehicle that I'm using to try and drive this global transition is United Nations General Assembly Science Summit Digital Health Symposium. And here in Barcelona this week, we're you know announcing the or releasing launching the Manhattan Manifesto. Uh, and we have 50 global signatories to the Manhattan Manifesto, and it simply is 12 guidelines to help governments and health systems uh, trans transform uh, using digital. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Martin. I'm, I'm going to come back and touch on a couple of those areas if I can in a moment, but the manifesto is such an important, um, is coming at such an important time because We've been through a global pandemic and many health systems around the world need an awful lot of, um, can I say it carefully, improvement uh, in lots of areas. And uh, I think it's incredible in terms of the work that you've done. And I think it's incredible in terms of the work that you're doing. And I know some of your recent decision to, um, you know, maybe tackle this problem from a slightly different angle uh, and not in your, your former role uh, was 
pretty pretty big international news. It was certainly very large news in Ireland. And um, I know that you, you're very respected in terms of your thoughts and your background. And I want to come back to that first, if I can, in terms of your background and your engineering background, because I know, you know, back to maybe Philips in the Netherlands, and then you spent an awful lot of time with the Intel Corporation, didn't you, who have a very large um, facility operation, I suppose, in Ireland whether it was as the global director for IT innovation there or as the vice president um, and senior principal engineer for Intel Labs in Europe. Uh, so that must have been a very interesting journey because I think you were there in total for maybe, I don't know, what was it, 10, 15 years? Well, actually, 25 years. 25 years in total it, it at was, Intel, was it? it you know, it, it was phenomenal. I loved working um, for Intel and I had a particular affinity um, with the, one of the Intel CEOs, Paul Ottolini. He had a fabulous vision, which was that Intel would create and extend computing technology to connect and enrich the lives of everybody on the planet. And that really spoke to me. I'm very much, you know, purpose-driven, but it also makes economic sense. You know, so under Paul Ottolini's leadership, he sadly passed away three or four years ago. You know, the cumulative, you know, net income and net revenue was more than all of the previous uh, Intel CEOs combined. So doing good and being purposeful uh, makes sense. But there's a lot I can translate from and was one of the reasons I moved to the health service. Um, a modern semiconductor fab such as say Fab24 and Intel in, in, in Leakslip, it's at least 10 times, if not 100 times more um complex than a modern acute hospital and there are problems and technologies that were deployed 30 years ago that we we, we developed uh were deployed in fab 10 and those capabilities are still not present in in, in modern day hospitals at least at least in ireland so if i can give you one example uh simon uh today we probably have about three million medication errors um a year in ireland so that's one medication error per patient per day and in some cases that actually can be very problematic and you know some some cases people can die and as you may know in the us the third largest cause of death is medical errors but when i joined intel in in phoenix arizona in 1992 we had a problem in our factories, we had a misprocessing rate of about 3% of our wafers. And depending where those wafers were in the um, the manufacturing cycle, every time you did that, you blew away a million um, dollars or million uh, euros. But the problem if you make a, you know, a serious medication mistake is not about money, it's about actually people's lives. But by developing software, we call the station control software, we were actually in less than six months able to eliminate completely misprocessing. So we were always able to make sure, you know, manufacturing and healthcare is like a manufacturing process. You need to have man, machine, material and method all synchronized. So, you know, in early 1993, we had eliminated all misprocessing. You know, we're still in healthcare systems around the world, and particularly Ireland, where we have the equivalent of misprocessing. So just taking that technology and applying it to healthcare can solve a lot of problems. And that's one of my motivations. I work with Professor Linda Nunes and Dr. Charles Larkin at the University of Bath. And one of the things we're looking at is taking digital manufacturing techniques and applying them to healthcare. And in general, like we've made remarkable progress in healthcare globally, um, you know, it, over just the last two centuries, life expectancy has more than doubled from about 30 years per person to 
you know, well north of 70. Uh, so we've had amazing progress and, you know, the invention of, you know, discovery of penicillin and, you know, stents and all sorts of innovations. But the healthcare system, as we currently know it, um, Simon, you probably recognize this, is, is, is breaking down. And, you know, the deployment of both digital technology and manufacturing, digital manufacturing and, you know, techniques like Deming and Shure to advocate a statistical process control, these can drive remarkable improvements. And I think we can look to um, Thomas Kuhn. He wrote the book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And what he argues is there are periods of complete discontinuity, discontinuity in science where the normal model breaks down. You get a model crisis and that leads to a new paradigm. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing in, in healthcare around the world, you know, whether it's, you know, the Financial Times or Time magazine, there's an interesting article a couple of weeks ago, you know, um, senior US doctor saying, it's not the workload that's, you know, fatiguing us and, you know, destroying our morale. It's the fact that we're working with a broken healthcare system. There's no, there's very little hope. People see workload going up, people are getting older, the demand is going up and there's nobody coming forth with solutions. So. What I've been advocating is trying to make healthcare reform very simple and, you know, create a mantra, which is just six words, and to use this to, you know, globally align, accelerate and amplify um, health efforts or digital health innovation efforts. We, we call this Stay Left, Shift Left, 10X, and maybe you can explain that very briefly. So Stay Left is about using um, digital technology to keep well people well. Or if you need rehab or have a chronic condition that we could do this best of all from home. Shift left's about moving patients as quickly as possible from an acute to a community to a home setting. And then the last piece, probably the most important, is the idea of 10x that and what we've observed in a network of living labs in Ireland, and we've been validating this with the University of Bath. Every time we deploy digital technology to healthcare, which is information intensive, and we use an exponential innovation methodology, we call that the OI2 Living Labs, we're seeing 10 times better, 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, 10 times higher volume. It's absolutely, you know, remarkable. You might've heard the expression, you know, you know, come at the hour, come at the man. Well, in this case, it's come at the hour, it's, it's, it's come at the technology. And, I see, Simon, three Copernican shifts that you know, must happen and can happen and are, ha are happening. The first is shifting from an illness system to a wellness system. And today in Europe, we spend 97% on average of our budget on illness uh, and just 3% on wellness. But the returns are massive. They're, you know, they're 10x more if we invest in wellness. And can you imagine a bank or a venture capitalist putting 90%, 97% of the funding into the lowest performing part of the portfolio? It's insane. But that's what's happening. But this isn't to say that we don't need hospitals. Of course we do, because people get sick, people get, have accidents. We're actually going to need mostly a different kind of hospital, which is the second Copernican shift. We're going to move from hospital to home. So already we have technologies. And you know, one example is from Wear, a Scottish company. Um, they have a small credit card device that it wear my arm. And you have better, you can get better vital signs in your home than you can actually in any Irish uh, hospital. And they're continuous, they're real time. We can alert on these. So um, 
nobody wants to really wants to go to hospital. Although I do have an aunt who likes going to hospital. Hope she she hopes she doesn't watch this. Uh, but most people want to stay at home. And the good news is, we can treat people at home as good as, if not better, than in the hospital. And we can do you know home intravenous IV. We can you know do home you know chemotherapy. So that's the the second shift. And the third shift is a credibly empowering one. And this is moving from doctor knows best to patients know best. You know, patients spend most of the time caring for themselves, but in the past they weren't really educated. But now with you know new modes of you know patient education with the Internet of Things, like very simple things like blood glucose meters, you know, I've been experimenting with one myself and I've learned remarkably, you know, um, what not to eat to drive my, you know, blood glucose level high. But what I observed is just doing some exercise directly after re eating really stabilized my blood sugar. And I just, just came across a book last week. I was actually in Gran Canaria and it's uh, called La Revolution de la Glucose or the Glucose Revolution. And it's some very simple techniques if people who are educated could really stabilize blood sugars. And you know, the research is showing that you know, blood sugar levels are not just an issue for people with diabetes, but you know, sure, blood sugar levels that aren't controlled can lead to you know, earlier onset of dementia and all sorts of different conditions. And if we can just educate people, um, so this this third area of the patient taking control. Now it is co-creation. We always will will need doctors, but if we think about the um, the determinants of health, um, just ten percent of health outcomes, and there's some really good research on that, are driven by clinical efforts. And again, we're investing all almost all of our budget into clinical care, and clinical care has been hugely important. You know, in the last fifty years, we you know, driven massive life expectancy improvements due to that. But actually the big returns are elsewhere. So exercise and nutrition are 40% of our health outcomes. Our genomics are 30%. Environmental, can, you know, social conditions are 15% and so on. And healthcare is just 10%. Um, so we can educate patients and, you know, movement is music. It's our movement is medicine. You know, that can be really important. So the combination of IoT and educated patients, I think we could add, you know, two and a half years of healthy life to everybody on the planet, you know, for the next 20 years. So you and I, Simon, if we use these technologies, we follow these better regimes, we could add it 10 years to our lives and we could do that for everybody in the planet. And, you know, about 50% of people on the planet don't have access to care and digital is going to make it much more affordable, much more accessible, much more consumable. So um, I think the future is really exciting, but we actually have to make a decision um, as a society and as a political decision that we're going, we actually want this transition. It just makes complete sense. So that's what I'm pushing for. And that's, that's why I'm working in digital healthcare. Well, listen, that's that's wonderful. And, you know, um, you've made some very, very uh, important points there. Uh, I certainly like, you know, from illness to wellness. And when you talked about it, looking at it from a business perspective, would you invest all your money in the bottom part of the equation? Um, that's quite interesting. And it reminded me, I reflected back to, I, I don't know if you, if you knew the gentleman, but there was a, 
a Northern Irish businessman, uh, Jerry Robinson, um, lived in the North. And uh, he had a TV program. I think it was with Granada or ITV back in the days in, in Europe, which was Can He Fix the NHS? And uh, this TV program showed a little bit behind the scenes that the the complete disconnect between, now I'm going back quite a few years, but the complete disconnect between sort of modern technology, business processes, um, a different way of thinking or looking at it through a different lens. And it was sort of this battle between the status quo, the institution of healthcare and, and a government wrangle, uh, which seems to be probably raging as strong as it ever has today and you know that program was probably back in 2007 something like that you know yeah the and i do do recall it and um the tragedy is we have the technology and people want it you know what, what i've made of my business is you know every week to be out with the doctors the nurses the patients the physios and the pharmacists and we, we created a national master's with eight universities, and we specifically designed that to be not just sort of educating the doctors and nurses, you know, the digital workforce of the future, but instead of the, you know, the clinicians, you know, writing 30,000 word dissertation, they didn't do that. We asked them to drive, you know, conceive and drive and develop a digital change project. So we, we now have a mechanism. We've had over 50 digital change projects driven into the Irish healthcare system, you know, by our our um, our clinicians, and it's been fantastic. But as an innovation professor and as an as a, as an innovator, you know, resistance is normal, and there are things you can do though to, you know, design for adoption. In fact, that's one of the key patterns, Simon, in Open Innovation 2.0. So you design for the user experience, you design for utility, you design for ubiquity, and very much having the users part of the, you know, be that a patient or a pharmacist as part of the process. And you can actually design solutions that are really compelling and they really target the pain point. So we did, we did that in multiple living labs where in, you know, in digital dermatology with, you know, Owen O'Reilly and remarkable results like the um, waitlist in St. James's for dermatology were reduced 60%. We, we think we could reduce the number of deaths uh, in Ireland in skin cancer by a factor of 10x from 1,500 a year to 150. Now, 150 is still too many. And, you know, is, if we continue to deploy these solutions, we'll get that down even, even more because early detection is, is so important. Um, and then the idea of these solutions that are 10x, like, you know, we have a thousand patients in virtual respiratory wards. These are cystic fibrosis, fibrosis patients. They're patients with COPD. And they're staying, being able to stay at home for a CF patient. A huge risk is going into the hospital and picking up um, the hospital acquiring infection so they can stay at home. But they are saving, you know, in a, a study with Michael Malley in Galway, Dr. Michael Malley, over 950 euros a year just on travel costs. So these are multifactorial benefits. They're all 10X and yet they're being resisted and, and not adopted. And I think we can do much better out of the system. People like Helen Bevan in the NHS, she was the transformation uh, director and she talked about the idea of a culture war. There is the command and control of the old world versus you know the network 
organization and ultimately the network is going to win now some hierarchy is still necessary but you know despite the fact that we designed for adoption we designed these solutions with doctors and nurses and patients despite the fact that we're very clear you know 10x benefits 10 times faster 10 times better 10 times we met extreme resistance from just a small pocket of people typically non-clinical administrators you know, and I, I said on Virgin TV, these are people who who value power over purpose, over progress, and over patients and and people. You know, ultimately, you know, digital has to win because it's going to affect, you know, affect everybody, all of us, you, I, our families, our friends. So the idea of stay left, shift left, ten x is a national digital health strategy. It's not just about health. But it's about enterprise and economy, and it's about sustainability. So working with Leo Clancy of Enterprise Ireland, you know, we think we can, you know, have a 10x increase in digital health exports from our, our SMEs. And again, we've made remarkable progress in, you know, just three or four years. You know, four or five years ago, we probably had one or two digital health SMEs that were able to penetrate the um, the HSE and Last September at the United Nations General Assembly, we were able, together with Enterprise Ireland, announce the first 25. So a playbook of 25 Irish digital health SMEs that most of them didn't exist four years ago. COVID became a you know remarkable um, enabler. And these now have solutions you know deployed across Ireland in living labs that are delivering 10x benefits. Uh, but the economic returns, you know, in the work that we're doing at the University of Bath, and I had done a preliminary analysis myself, and the numbers were so good, I had to go to someone else to say, look, let's let's validate this. So we've been working with um, you know, the health economist led by Dr. Charles Locke and the University of Bath, and what we're routinely seeing, for example, for our vital signs automation solution, 1100% return. For a digital ultrasound, you know, we're seeing about 3,000% return. And incredibly, for our virtual respiratory um, ward, we were seeing a more than a 10,000% return. And this is amazing, but it's also you know, a real paradox because, unfortunately, Ireland has the highest rate of respiratory admissions in the world, or in Europe, and we have almost the cleanest air. And now we have a solution that can keep all of those patients at home, but it's not being, you know, deployed. There's such reticence and 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 slowness uh, to adopt it. So, and you know, the case of vital signs automation solution in Ireland is also a very difficult one because this is a great technology. It catches deteriorating patients much earlier. And in effect, because what we've seen, we've been working with David Tui, he's the CEO of Syncrify. And they have great data they've deployed extensively with NHS in Scotland and what they've seen on average, at least a 15% reduction in average length of stay. And this directly, you know, turns into increased capacity. So having worked through the business case with, with David, we think we can provide new acute capacity through better use of digital and information at at least one one hundredth of the cost of providing a new bed in Ireland. So in, in Ireland, it costs about a million euros to procure, you know, and deploy a new bed. It costs about 300,000 a year to staff that. If you can use digital technology 
um, to improve capacity for a fraction of that investment, one one hundred, it's a really smart thing to do. But even more important, unfortunately, the tragic case of Savita Halepenauer in I think in twenty fifteen and University Hospital Galway. You know, there was a HICWA report from that said, look, we need this kind of technology uh, deployed in Irish hospitals and. We deployed it into, you know, Cavan, we deployed it into Tala, and now there is a program to deploy it into 20 wards across the country, but it is just so slow. Like we deployed it into Tala in three weeks, uh, but, you know, the purchase order was signed a year ago. I was just talking to David Tui two or three weeks ago, and it's only deployed in, in three hospitals. Now, the second one, the third one, St. Luke's in Kilkenny, it proved so valuable that St. Luke's themselves said, okay, we're going to deploy this into all our other wards. And that's currently under underway. But relying on this central hierarchy, the HSE, to do this, it's just too far removed. And there's a culture issue and there's inertia. Um, so we, we have to do things differently. There's an awful lot to unpack. There's an awful lot to think about. And again, um, to me, you know, looking at it, I'm no healthcare expert, obviously, but the technology has advanced significantly. Um, the, you know, to me, I'm liking it, and it's probably a bad example, but it's like you mentioned the pandemic where people just had to work from home. We had to figure out a different way of doing business. And it sounds like, you know, from the way you described it, that a lot of these technologies and sensors and in-home care can actually give you a better read than maybe being sitting on a ward taking up that bed. And the other thing that that really stands out to me, you know, as somebody who's experienced this through my own family is there's a huge shortage of beds. We've probably been through at the time of recording one of the worst periods in Irish history uh, in terms of lack of beds, lack of healthcare um, availability. The frontline workers seem to be trying the best they can Everybody seems to be frustrated with the the service and people are left waiting, you know, on trolleys or even if they're lucky enough to get a trolley, some of them left on chairs for many, many hours. And it is an extremely frustrating situation for anybody who's experienced that firsthand, whether personally or through their family members or loved ones. But also when I hear you talk, it seems like a lot of these solutions are available but are being rolled out and it's that slow almost glacier rollout that really seems to be able to bring some significant results and you're talking you know 10,000 percent improvements or 10x improvements or you know the numbers that you're throwing out are quite staggering so hopefully we'll we'll get to address that but just in in, in summary because I do want to squeeze in a few more questions before we run out of time what do you think is the next step? Obviously, you know, you're working at a United Nations level. You're a huge advocate in terms of making this work. And, you know, I can see the connection between your engineering, the IoT type argument and how these smart devices can give you a real read, regardless almost of where you are on the planet, whether you're an Irish citizen or an Irish user of the Irish healthcare system in this case. Um where to next? I mean, what for you when you look at it from your perspective, because you've got extremely in-depth knowledge, having both worked inside and outside of this huge challenge that we're, fr we're faced with, what's next? Where do we go? Well, I think it's, Simon, and that was actually a very good summary. It's all about mindset and culture. And, you know, 30 years ago, Watt Humphreys said, 
every business is a software business. And recently the Microsoft CEO said that, and I think we need to think about health and healthcare as a software business. It is an information business and you and I and everybody else, I expect in three, four, five years, we're gonna be generating a hundred times more data uh, than we currently generate. And we'll be able to proactively very early detect chronic disease. And this is hugely important because I mean, 70% of all deaths um, come from chronic disease that's not detected or not managed. In the US, 90% of all costs comes from chronic disease. So by purely taking an information age approach and you're treating health as a software business, uh, we can do remarkable things, but it's very much about mindset and, and, and culture. And, you know, what I would question, I think there's a massive opportunity for non-government players to come in and be successful. We're on the cusp of a remarkable change because, you know, the numbers I'm throwing at you and the real, you know, a thousand percent return, 800 percent return, they're strong commercial returns, but the returns in terms of actually extending and saving human lives, they, they can't be ignored. So if we look at the parallel and home genome sequencing is um, a massive opportunity. I mentioned 30% of our health outcomes are driven by our you know, genetics. You know, when, you know, 20 years ago, it cost a billion dollars to do it. Now it's three or 400 uh, euros, but the health systems are moving very slowly to adopt this. So about 40 million people globally have had their whole genome sequence, but almost all of them have actually gone directly to a B2C firm, a business to consumer. So I think there's a massive opportunity um, for companies that can, you know, introduce global platforms that go direct to the consumer. You know, we're all willing to pay 10 euro for a Spotify service for our music and, you know, do our shopping at home. I think actually consumers would be willing to pay uh, not huge amount, but some amount for actually having a managed health service. So we all have, or we don't, many people have financial plans. They plan for life. Why not um, you know, health plan? So I think we're on the point of a major disruption. Um, unfortunately, the, um, the healthcare system, the government-run healthcare systems, and there is a lot of goodness in them. Like, you know, I would, wouldn't want to say, look, you know, there's fantastic clinicians. You know, there are brilliant administrators. There are great services, but the technology is enabling something completely new. And the the OECD published a report two years ago. You know, healthcare in the 21st century, and what they said is, you know, the culture and the processes and procedures they were developed, law were forged, and they use the word forged. Um, you know, I, th I think deliberately long before the digital revolution. Um, you know, came. So the challenge is for us to collectively reimagine a new kind of healthcare system, you know, re-architect it and re-engineer it. And myself and people like Prashant Parida in New York, we have a vision of a new digital health system, which based on the patient and they have their mobile phone, their electronic health record on the, on the mobile phone. And we work with uh, Dr. Mohammed Ayub Ali based in the UK with the Patients Know Best platform. He was a clinician that had a rare disease himself and he developed a platform now a thousand or million, more than a million patients have their own personal electronic health record. And when you're empowered with that and enabled and when you're educated, that's how we're going to, you know, leap forward. So, um, you know, Michael Porter talked about, you know, the, the five forces shaping an industry and 
what is going to happen is power is going to shift to the consumer. We have a consumer experience for music, for banking, for retail. We need that in healthcare. And I don't think, don't think it's going to come from the government organizations. There's absolutely still a role for the government organizations and they provide vital infrastructure and vital investment. But I, I, you know, ideally I would like it to come from a public-private partnership and but it, it may come from a private player that just provides a solution that's so compelling, that's so conven convenient that it'll just get adopted. But yeah, it's it's entirely impossible. We can all, we can all live longer. You know, one of my colleagues, John Shaw, he's the CEO of Carillon, um, and he says, you know, people will look back in the future and say, what were people thinking in 2023 when our cars were better instrumented? Than us as humans, we know when we have we need an oil change. We know when our tire pressure is down. We know when the brake pads need changing. But we don't know this. We find out too often. We find out too late in A and E. Oh my gosh, you have a stage two, you know, cancer diagnosis, or you're in high. You've got um hypertensive prices, and we have all the technologies. It's affordable at consumer prices. So uh, what we need, I think, is a global effort and. You know, maybe just to to think about you might have heard the expression simon let chaos reign and then reign in chaos and why i've been advocating stay left shift left 10x is we have this you know this came an explosion of digital health innovations like the californian gold rush it's hugely exciting but at the moment it's not directed in one direction and um you know richard jones one of my president of c2ai he talks about you know if if you're not doing something that's stay left shift at 10x, you shouldn't be doing it. But if we can align all these innovation efforts, they actually complement each other, they actually compound each other, and we can go much faster. And the whole idea of open innovation 2.0, and why I'm why I'm so optimistic, you know, one of the key design platforms is platforms and ecosystems. And you know, you know what the research is showing that the dynamics that normally might take 30 to 40 years to play out in an industry can be achieved in seven or eight years using platform ecosystems. So this is where you have a common platform and you've massively distributed innovation, parallel innovation. It's also you massively shared risk um, and massively greater return. So by using a common platform and a common lens, uh, we can go much, much faster. Yeah, again, ec excellent points. And um, it's a little it's a little bit like the, you know, back to COVID, uh, where the world had to get together and said, look, we need to we need to speed up the vaccine approval process. We need to we need to get this thing out faster. And I'm also reminded of things like genetic medicines or generic medicines, sorry, compared to branded medicines with the yeah. same active ingredient and the the, the backlash that, that took place there and the, the sort of infighting and the politics that played a part there. And it just takes longer to roll this stuff out. But it sounds like as well, uh, the last thing I'd say on it, uh, just from, from a, just thinking about what you're saying here, we saw Amazon sort of entering to some degree uh, at some point there a number of years ago, the sort of drug distribution market in terms of sort of chemists i suppose or pharmacies and it, it isn't uh, you know a stretch too far for the imagination to see a company like apple for example decide to roll out more like you're wearing an apple smartwatch today which has quite a lot of sophisticated sensors built into it 
And there's many other companies that provide sensors and technologies to track health signs, vital signs. And as you've already mentioned, there are lots of these companies that maybe didn't exist four or five years ago where the technology is almost shrunk, more accurate, more available. And it's the democratization of that healthcare, I suppose, where it moves into this B2C model that you're sort of referencing. Um, but look, I, I really no, appreciate your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And actually, you know, what we've tried to establish in Ireland and what we're trying to establish globally is an open collaborative ecosystem. And these are huge important because we 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 can go much faster when we're collaborating, you know, with a with a shared vision, which we call state left shift of 10x and we have shared values and we're trying to, you know, create shared value. But one of the innovations that I thought was fabulous, I'm most proud of, we, we almost call it the Oceans 11 innovation, was the Health Elevator project where we worked with Care Plus Pharmacy, we worked with Full Health Medical, we worked with AWS, we worked with Roche and, you know, six or seven other companies. And the idea that you could go to your pharmacy and you could do a 15 health check. We have to bring our cars every couple of years for an MOT that every year you could go to your pharmacy in 15 minutes, you could get your blood stone, you could get a HB1AC test, which is for, your, for diabetes, you get an AFib test, you get a peak flow for respiratory and a number of other tests. And in 15 minutes, you know, we could do that analysis. Now it takes 24 hours. We're working with Eurofins to process the bloods, but in 24 hours, you would get um, a personal electronic health record. You would get a report identifying what are the risk factors, and you'd also, and actually it's a Fitbit, you'd get a Fitbit or similar um, device, which would allow you to manage, you know, your health much better. And we could do all of this for about the cost of a PCR test. Um, this is a solution that unfortunately was blocked by these non-clinical administrators. And Ireland could be the first, per first country in the world where every citizen every year gets a personal um, health check and has the tools to self-manage. And what's really important is what we found, Full Health Medical are the company at the core of this, and they've done you know tens and maybe hundreds of thousands of these medicals in the UK. One in five people have a critical risk factor that's identified. In fact, you know, in our living lab, several people have to go direct to A&E because you know, we saw problems that immediately warranted um, attention. But if we can, one in five people have a problem, you know, every year or two that you leave this problem, the costs go up 10x and the pain and, uh, you know, in some cases it, it leads to death and diabetes, for example, is particularly tricky. People lose, you know, fingers and toe, particularly toes. So there's a real opportunity. I think we've been, we've been working, for example, with, you know, John Carl, who's the CEO of CarePlus Pharmacies, and he shares this vision in 80 stack of stack pharmacies. Um, working, there's a real opportunity to leverage community pharmacy as an untapped resource. So right now our, our GPs carry much of the work, 90% of all appointments are going through the GPs. And, uh, you know, recently, um, um, you know, the, you know, G, G, Alona Duffy and Manon, she's looked the funding for the GPs is just about 5% of the, the overall system. That was an eye opener for me. But right now the GPs are, you know, they're all, you know, they're, they're completely overwhelmed. Um, many of them are, are old, many of them are retiring. But if we could shift this workload to the pharmacists, this would be phenomenal. It also solves the problem for the pharmacies because there's quite an, an issue with young pharmacists who are unsatisfied and are leaving. 
But if we can have them operate at the top of their license, they conduct um, you know, this 15 minute test in each pharmacy. And each pharmacy by law needs a consulting room. We would massively you know, rebalance and bring the system more into, into equilibrium. And one of the reasons, Simon, I'm so so hopeful, Ilya Prijanin, uh, he was a uh, you know Nobel Prize winner, but he said when a system is far from equilibrium, as is our healthcare systems, small islands of coherence have the ability to transform the whole system. So what I'm imagining is we're going to have a metamorphosis by you know play, doing these small changes, all aligned with stay left, shift left across the health system. We're going to have a metamorphosis. And you know, from a caterpillar to a butterfly, spontaneously at a certain moment, we're actually going to see a new form of system emerge, and that will be a new digital health platform that puts the patient at the center. Um, that you know, we can increase hospital capacity by a factor of 10x because people are being treated in their home, and is going to extend lives and ameliorate suffering because. Something interesting, you know, has happened. Our, even though life expectancy has dramatically increased, and that's marvelous, the percentage of our lives that we spend healthy and unhealthy actually hasn't changed much, and we can do a lot about that. So um, there is the opportunity. You know, every child, and John Shaw talks about this today, a citizen charter. Any child born today could reasonably expect to live to 100 years old, and live out most of that healthily. And I think we would all want that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And um, yeah, I, I, you may. I mean, the the Fitbit, for example, I mentioned Apple Watch, but that that was acquired by Google for a few few billion uh, only a couple of years ago. But there's also this huge opportunity, isn't there, for these small, medium sized agile businesses that are really at the forefront of this new health tech, if I can maybe use that phrase. And it seems as though that this is happening anyway. It seems like it's going to win out ultimately because it, it kind of has to. And when I when I think about uh, just in an Irish context, I know this is an international audience, but just in an Irish context, when your population's gone up by a few billion, you don't have any more beds, and the you know this stuff isn't rolled out, it becomes very difficult. And the the backlog, whether it's at the GP level or the, the A&E level uh, at the hospitals, it's a, it's a real challenge. So, um, yeah, it sounds like there's a, a both a huge challenge still ahead, but a huge opportunity too, and I don't want to lose sight of that. And maybe, Simon, if I could give a couple of the opportunities, some yeah. really exciting things that, um, you know, that are going on, but also to mention when COVID happened, there was two things. It became a big bang disruptor, A, because there was so much fear and necessity was the mother invention. But secondly, the people that are innovation blockers actually were too busy doing something else. Um, so they weren't they weren't in the way. And you know, one of our most senior politicians recently, you know, said to me, Mark, look, there are people that make careers out of blocking and you don't want to actually get their, their backs up because they'll block even even more. But we, we have to go around them. But just a couple of technologies that are going to change the world. Um, head diagnostics, David Van Zoydam. Uh, has a technology um, which was originally the discovery, the technology discovery was, you know, originated from St. James's Hospital, something called ocular micro tremor. And David has developed a, a device 
um, it actually, you shine it into your eye and in three seconds, it will give you an indication whether there's early onset of a neuro neurological disease using this OMT technology. And we want to introduce that into our health elevator check. So one of the additional things that we would do when you go to the pharmacies, you get a three second test. It'll say, gosh, there could be early onset of Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Now, the thing is, uh, right now, we, we haven't figured out how to um, cure these diseases, but we can absolutely slow them. So if you know there's the early onset of something, there's a lot of things we, we can do. Um, a technology that we introduced with PMD, PMD are based in, in, in Cork Respirosense. We put it into 23 hospitals. We worked with Professor Richard Coslow. You know, the first weekend COVID was in Ireland, and we were able to quickly see that we could get 12 hours notice of a patient desaturating. So in some cases, this was life-saving, um, or we could avoid an intubation in ICU. But we've recently um, had a you know a pilot in, in Donegal with um, Antoinette Doherty and also with the Professor Vera Keatings. And we've taken very sick patients um, who have COPD that on average were hospitalized once a month. Um, but now they wear this technology at night and, you know, Vera Keatings and Antoinette can see if a patient is deteriorating, they can activate a rescue script. Um, we've had 100% success. So since the pilots are, we haven't had a single patient hospitalized because we're able to detect deterioration and intervene. So this is saving hospital beds. It's actually saving lives and the patients want to stay at home. And one other technology, you know, there's there's five or six vital signs I'm involved. I, you know, help advise a, a Portland, Oregon-based company uh, called Matuzi. Mark Alexander is the CEO. And a lot of these um, new innovations come from, you know, patients having problems. So Mark had a bad uh, car accident and the physio was very difficult. And he developed with the physio a new body area network, which measures something called ground reaction force. And this is a way of actually measuring what's going, something that previously wasn't being able to measured, uh, to be measured. And now if you go to a physio with a problem, it could be a back problem, it could be a knee problem, um, you're able to actually do some tests and it, it indicates to the physio you know, actually what the prescribed treatment and what they found and from Mark included, the, the physio that he, that he was getting was actually making the problem worse. But with this new vital signs, and we're actually talking about this as a new vital sign, a six vital sign ground reaction force, um, we're going to have much faster uh, paths to, you know, recovery. Um, and it's cheaper, of, of course. So, and, you know, digital ultrasound is going to be hugely important. Um, in Ireland, as in many healthcare systems, you know, heart failure is the number one cause of death. Um, in Ireland, we have an 18 month waiting list for an echo test. But now the combination of, say, you know, the butterfly or the G device with Caption AI, a care worker, an un untrained care worker can do as good uh, an echo test as, you know, a trained cardiac physiologist. So we can immediately cut out this bottleneck. And if you can quickly get a patient who's suspected with heart failure and do this echo test, the quicker they get on the path to, uh, to recovery. And our, our work with Rush and Centric Health with Dr. Donald Bailey, we've monitored 150 heart failure patients over a year and a half. And we've seen a 10 times reduction in hospitalization. So again, this is reducing, you know, the workload on the hospitals. 
but most importantly for the patients, they feel much safer. And instead of them having maybe eight appointments a year with the card, they're monitored continuously. There's a nurse line where we're looking at their weight, we're looking at their SpO2, and you know, we've we've just had, I think the only hospitalization, hospitalization we've had is when we detected a problem with a patient, we gave them a new script or they were given a new script and they waited three days to actually, you know, get it dispensed and apply it. And by then they needed to be hospitalized. But, you know, the technology is there. We just have to decide to do it and, and you know, implement it. Thank you so much indeed for sharing that, that insight and those opportunities. Um, it's been a great discussion and uh, I could talk to you for weeks on end about this stuff because it, it it's great uh, to hear your, your views and opinions on this, but I do want to change gears just a little bit and just ask you a little questions just for our worldwide audience to find out a little bit more about Martin. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you just a couple of quick things before we end today. And obviously this is a huge area that requires an awful lot of cutting-edged thinking, the latest news, the latest technologies. How do you onboard information? How are you keeping abreast of what's happening? Is it through meeting people, reading books, listening to podcasts, downloading white papers? What does that world of learning look like for you, um, Martin? Yeah, and um, all of those, and actually just to congratulate you on your, this global discussion series, actually listening to thought leaders and a podcast, taking 30 minutes out to do that is a, is a great way. There's a huge, you know, networking is really important. So I've been here at Mobile World Congress, and that's been, uh, you know, fantastic. And, you know, when two ideas or two half ideas come together, they don't compete, they actually complete so um i you know one of the things i learned at intel from a company called jmj associates is relationships are the foundation of all accomplishments so i invest a lot in relationships and um you know when you're able to have you know high trust high level relationships you you can do a lot but i use linkedin a lot it's a it's a great source of information as an academic i'm i'm looking at some of the academic papers i'm looking at the industry um press but you know podcasts like this are you know and uh, blinkist is a good source you can get uh, you know a 10 12 minute summary of of um a, a new book but it's all about you know people overvalue analysis and undervalue synthesis and uh, you know i think what we need to do is look at all these sources and synthesize them um into nuggets of information that can be used and and, and actioned and um you know, it's all about action. You know, it's it's not just enough to know about it, but you have to do it and and act. I I absolutely love that. I couldn't agree more. One hundred percent. Thank you. The other thing I want to ask you is, you've mentioned a lot of smart, clever, active, forward-thinking people as we've been discussing here, the healthcare situation and the advancements in technology and and development and solutions. But when I ask you about your 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 life, your career journey, back to being a child, you know, in your childhood or something that happened to you in Barcelona this week, who do you admire? What people have inspired you? Who stands out? What do you think about when I ask you that question? Yeah, the, well, loads of people I admire. I'm actually um, a soccer fan. I like Chelsea and West Ham. Well, actually, you think Arsene Wenger was just amazing. Now, we actually played the games. There's a lot of people in healthcare actually 
in leadership positions that have never done health. And I think you actually need to have played the game to be successful. But Wenger was so consistently good with moderate budgets. And, you know, he created the undefeatable. So I think he was amazing. There are so many people I work with. John Sheehan, um, uh, he and I are somebody call, sometimes called the two Ronnies. And um, John, he's a brilliant radiologist. He's the vice chair of the... Irish Digital Health Leadership Group. He's an entrepreneur. You know, he's involved with mobile medical diagnostics and extra fair. But just want to give an example. Um, two weeks ago, I was out in San Jose uh, speaking at the uh, NetEvents you know, Global Tech Media Summit. And I just got a message from John's wife. Oh my gosh, John has had um, a bike accident and um, he came off his bike, but his Apple Watch actually was able to immediately send a message. John has had a hard down to his wife and to other colleagues, you know, and a couple of hours later, John was transformed from being a doctor and entrepreneur. Actually, he was a patient. Now he did send me um, a live video of the surgeon actually operating on his wrist, uh, which, you know, uh, I'm not gonna be showing it to my kids. But I was able to talk about John and John sent me the images of his new constructed wrist and his face. He did two or three hours of plastic surgery and it was a brilliant case study. You know, I think the man is made of steel, but we're able to use this as an exemplar. Here's John. He's a doctor. He's an entrepreneur. He's had an accident. We talked about, you know, we're going to do hot, but sometimes you need to go to a hospital. And he was willing to share his personal experience. And a number of journalists came up to me, gosh, that's so amazing that, you know, the Apple Watch, you know, could detect there was a fall and could immediately send the GPS. Another person I admire, for example, is Jeff Martha. He's the CEO of Medtronic and a really good man, really smart man. I had the opportunity to have dinner with him and he was telling about conversations, you know, that Medtronic are having with some of the smartwatch manufacturers and they have a device called a link, uh, which can detect very early, um, you know, the um, uh, cardiac arrhythmias. And this is a device that in the past would have had to be, you'd need surgery for it, but the link can now be deployed actually in a pharmacy, uh, you know, by somebody with a, just a little bit of training and this is game changing. And what I find the people and people like Neil Crescenzo, who's the CEO of um, Optum Change Health, these are really smart people. But the reason they're in the business is about doing good and, and saving lives. So, you know, other Dr. Donald Bailey that work with Donald Morris, Anthony Staines. We have some fantastic people. I've just been with Anne Mon Johnson who is the um, CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. And she flew out from Washington, D.C. to be with us here in Barcelona and literally was here, you know, about 30 hours. She, she's just gone back. And Brian O'Connor, who's the um, CEO of the ECH Alliance, and he's developing the ecosystem of ecosystems. And we, we've just agreed here that the Digital Health Society is going to diffuse the message of Stalef Shiflev 10x around the world. So there are individuals, and Margaret Mead once said, you know, never doubt the ability of a small group of committed citizens to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. So I have the privilege of working with people like Brian and John and don't you know the Donalds. Um, and Gary Boyle, who's an amazing patient advocate. Gary has an amazing story. Uh, he had early onset of Parkinson's. It was a catastrophic diagnosis. But he talks about not being cured, but he's doing 
better, much better. And he recently completed um, his first marathon. You know, who could have um, imagined that? And he inspires other Parkinson's patients and he's been involved with um, Zendra Health in building an app for Parkinson's patients to support each other as a community. And this is gonna be very important, you know, patients like us, patients that have heart failure, patients that have Parkinson's, they can share experiences and they can share uh, breakthroughs. So uh, I've met, there's some really fine, fine people in, in, in healthcare that are, are altruistic. And I had the privilege of writing a book with Professor Piero Formica uh, of the University of Bologna. And it was about um, a new culture of innovation towards an altruistic economy. And I believe we can, we can be profitable, but it's very powerful when we have purpose and it's about progress and it's about people. And um, ultimately, I think that's where our business will go. You know, we talk about ESG and sustainability, but when businesses have purpose and they make a difference to people's lives, people will buy their services, they'll be really profitable. And it's such a great win-win. Because I think one of the key issues and uh, work a lot with um, honor of working with Professor Elizabeth Ticeberg of UT um, or uh, the University of Texas, who, who wrote the book with Michael Porter, Redefining Healthcare. And they talk a lot about value-based healthcare, but they say that in healthcare, too many people get paid more to do the wrong thing. So as we look forward, you know, I think there's two main things we need to fix in healthcare. And Larry Keeley, uh, Larry's, a, you know, the innovation principal at Dublin. And when I was at Intel, I had Larry come out from Chicago to Intel Sacramento. He gave an, an amazing talk that was really influential in changing Intel's innovation strategy. But the insight he shared was that, and he published a great book called The Ten Types of Innovation, um, many companies at that time, Intel and BMW, were focused mostly on product innovation, faster, cheaper, better. But his insight was that that was the area of lowest return and the area of highest return was in business model innovation and in network and ecosystem innovation. And in the work that I'm trying to drive with the open collaborative ecosystem, A, we're trying to use the ecosystem to innovate, but B, we're trying to innovate the business model. And if we, we can create the Spotify business model for healthcare, that's gonna be a winner. Yeah, that, that, that's some excellent points. I, I, I suppose one quick question, if I can, just on, um, I suppose, universal healthcare and providing healthcare for everybody. It, what about the question, Martin, about, well, if I can afford to pay for healthcare, then I'm going to be okay because the future is this subscription type model. What about people that are less fortunate? What about people in, you know, places or countries where maybe, you know, the income just isn't there or they, they're not on the same social economic rung? Uh, you know, how do you balance that between providing universal health care for everybody and a pay to pay type model? Yeah, well, I think, Simon, that actually is the most exciting and the biggest opportunity. So something that existed for a long time is something called the inverse care law, which is essentially the people that niece lead health care, the ones that can afford it most. And what you just described is the opposite. The people that most need it can't afford it. And I think it's similarly to the way that cloud computing has democratized 
you know, um, entrepreneurship, um, digital healthcare is going to make things a lot more affordable, a lot more accessible um, and available. So the fact that you can do, you know, when we learned older people can, you know, do a healthcare test at home. So my dad, you know, he's, thank God he's still really fit, but, you know, he was able to do his, you know, um, his antigen test at home and, you um, you know, these technologies are, are coming fast and, and thick. We can we can do them much cheaper. So I think there's two major opportunities. One is on the affordability and accessibility. So if you're in Nairobi and you have access to a smartphone, you can get as good a care as somebody that's sort of, you know, in a, a very nice district of Washington, D.C. Um, we're going to be able, because of the, you know, the scale of industry and um you know the 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 marginal cost of software approximates to zero. You know, once you get over a, a critical mass, we can make these solutions affordable, accessible, and available as long as you have you know a smartphone and you, you have a um, connection. Um, but the other big issue that you know can be fixed is variability is a massive issue in healthcare, and I sometimes talk about Russian roulette. A lot of doctors are great and you know, nurses, and if you get them, you get great care, but sometimes there are people that don't have the right knowledge or actually more, probably more of the cause is they're only working with 16 or 70% of the data. So if we can provide a personal electronic health record that has all of the data, you know, it's got your live data, what are your live vital signs? Doctors are gonna, and nurses are gonna make better decisions. So eliminating variability, is going to be a great opportunity and we can codify high fidelity digital care into digital so no matter whether i'm in johannesburg or i'm in barcelona or berlin everybody's going to be working off the best of um the best of you know practice and jeffrey braithwaite professor jeffrey braithwaite he's a colleague that collaborates with us on the manhattan manifesto he talks about 60, 30, 10. They're the three numbers you need to know about healthcare. 60% of care is in line with best practice. And this comes back to the Russian roulette. 30% actually is wasted and 10% of it is actually harmful. In fact, something like one in every six or six, six or seven medicines prescribed in a modern day hospital are actually counteracting the side effects of a drug or some sort of, you know, um, medical error. So I think codifying in this high fidelity, you know, high quality, you know, digital, um, you know, medical pathways is, is is going to be, you know, a really exciting development. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received, Martin? Uh, well, the best advice of, you know, lots of lots of good advice. I didn't always follow it. But um you know, when in Ireland school, I read Hamlet and Polonius said to his Laertes, as sure as night follows day, be true to thyself. Um, you know, then thou canst not be false to any man. So I, I think you have to be true to yourself. And ultimately, you know, when I, I left the HSC, I, I had to be um, true to myself. And then the best advice is what I try and give, you know, what is at Intel, we established this as our motto, just very simply dream, dare and do. So dream it, you know, dare to do it and actually just just do it. And, you know, some things might look hard, but once you take the first step, you're on your way and you've got momentum. 
I love that. Dream, dare, and do, and be true to yourself. I, I completely yeah. agree. Great advice. Um, look, last couple of questions before we wrap up today. As you look forward over the next six, nine, 12 months, how do you go about planning that? What's on your roadmap? What are you hoping to achieve? What does that look like for you? Well, we've a lot going on at Maynooth University and with the University of Limerick, and we're, we're taking the master's program that we established um, in Ireland. It's known as fourth year, and we're going international with that, if, in fact, not, you know, global. And we're working with CHIME, which is the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, and we're going to make that um, a global program. It's going to be at a variable, very um, attractive you know, price point because uh, healthcare is global and you know what we're trying to drive is is, is cohesive we're, we're looking forward to um you know the united nations signed some with the third edition of the digital health symposium that's going to be september 21 22nd we're looking at a digital summer school um at Maynooth university and so pleased we're really hopeful that dr jerome adams who is just the most recent Surgeon General, first Black Surgeon General of the US. He's gonna be one of our keynote speakers. Uh, so, so many things to do, and I'm, I'm working with quite a few um, you know, health tech startups, you know, like Matuzzi, uh, have a fantastic opportunity, gonna help one of the Canadian provinces with their digital health strategy. Uh, so it's really exciting, but what's gonna be most important is working with a network of committed and smart and really nice people. Life is too short to work with nasty people. And I'm, I'm really privileged to be working with smart people and nice people that, you know, at le- you know, the common interest is at least as important as their own self-interest. So um, the future is bright. Well, I, I, I like that a lot. And uh, it sounds like, as I'd expect nothing less, I suppose, from, from yourself, Martin, that you've got a busy six to 12 months ahead and some wonderful things to to drive forward and achieve. So continued success with all, all that you do in those areas. And I suppose the last thing I wanted to ask you, if I can, is... Is there anything that we've talked about an awful lot there? We've covered a lot of topics, but is there anything else that you'd like to maybe raise or just share with our audience before we wrap up? And also, and probably importantly, if people want to find out about some of the great work that you're involved in, some of these things that we've been talking about today, where's the best place to send people to to connect or to find out more? Great. Well, they can link in with me personally on on LinkedIn. I think it's an amazing tool. And we have the Irish Digital Health Leadership Steering Group for folks that are specifically focused on transforming healthcare. But similarly, we have a global uh, group and we're we're in actually Barcelona today uh, with the Global Health Connector Partnership. And we've had, you know, we've thought leaders from around the world here and they can get involved with that uh, with that. Um, movement. You know, I, I would say, you know, Simon, it's a privilege and again, congratulations on the global discussion series. You know, I, it, it, it's actually, you know, it's really dense information and you create thought leaders and I'm honored to be part of it. But we've made so much progress as a human society over 20 years, 200 years, you know, life expectancy has gone from 30 years to 75, even, even, even more than that. But what we know from the US is how much you spend on healthcare isn't the best predictor of outcomes because the US is now spending 20% of its GDP on healthcare, but its life expectancy is flatlined. In fact, it's actually gone down in the last couple of years. And 
the number one um you know modulator or you know predictor for healthcare is actually taking a systems approach and a management approach so we need to completely re-architect the health system and we probably shouldn't talk about healthcare systems and we should just talk about health but we also need top class management in that you know Deming who was credited with transforming the Japanese manufacturing industry after the second world war he says 85% of the problems are management. So we need top caliber management managers and leaders that are purpose driven at the top of our health systems. And I suspect now um, Franz Johansson wrote a book, I think, um, uh, called the Medici effect. And the breakthrough innovations happen at the intersection of disciplines. And I, I think the thing that's going to change healthcare isn't going to come from within the industry. It's going to come at the margin. Something that worked in retail or whoever creates the Spotify for healthcare is going to win. Well, that's a nice point for us to end on today. Thanks so much indeed for sharing all your insights, wisdom. And it sounds like um, despite challenges, the future looks very, very bright. So thank you very much indeed to Martin Curley for joining me today live from Barcelona. It's been a pleasure to talk to you as always. Thanks to everybody who's been watching or listening to this episode around the world. Make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, do all the things I need you to do to help support this podcast. And I hope you'll join me back here for more discussions with creatives, leaders, and thinkers. So thank you so much indeed, Martin. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you again today. Great. Thanks so much. Adios. Good luck. <laughs>